Hey, Tavine. Hey, Susanna. How's it going? A uh, little bit better. A little bit better. Good. Slightly cooler. <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, our last podcast, you were like way down. I must apologize. I just like cannot. I can't manage heat very well. I've just like just turned the corner into like loving summer in general. Um, but then like this heat wave stuff is like really, it like just sucks the life out of me. And I feel like I'm, I don't even deserve to complain considering the temperatures we've been seeing out of the Pacific Northwest. Yes, it has been so hot. And in our last podcast, we were talking about the record-setting, very unusual triple-digit temperatures that the Pacific Northwest has been seeing and how damaging that has been both for their communities, but also for climate change. And we talked about why is this happening? And it turns out climate change, which is creating this blanket of carbon dioxide around our planet, which is warming it up, is making things like the ocean get warmer which then means that there are stronger storms that are originating in the ocean, like cyclones out in the Pacific. Those cyclones are creating these high pressure systems, which are then coming over the land and creating things like heat domes over the Pacific Northwest, which are trapping even more heat, which is what caused the crazy temperatures at the end of June. It's also what is causing uh, increased rates of asthma, bigger periods, longer periods of drought, and wildfires. So climate change, you know, we think, oh, you know, it's one and a half degrees C that we're talking about here. Like, I can be one and a half degrees C hotter or colder. It's fine. (laughs) But in reality, all these consequences stack up, and it's a much, much bigger thing. Several hundred people died in Canada. We're talking wildfires. We're talking asthma. Like, these are real impacts. They're happening now. Uh, and we're so, so far away from actually solving the problem, from actually slowing down our emission of carbon. So um, you promised me at the end of the last episode that this one, we were going to talk about something a little bit more hopeful, (laughs) maybe some interesting legal frameworks, how other countries are tackling this. And I'm I'm here for it because, you know, I prefer to be fired up. I don't want to be bummed out. You had a really nice thing at the end of the last episode where you were saying, you know, the doom and gloom is there whether we act or not. So we need to act. Let's talk about what are people doing in, is it the UK? Uh, It's in the UK. And yeah, let me, I only giggle because you were saying fired up and interesting and legal in the same, in the same sort of spiel. And I want to just warn everybody that actually this could be pretty exciting. No, I'm yes. going I'm I'm to just put that out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I do as a as an as a as an eternal cautious optimist. I, I have to believe um, that there are ways to uh, sort of attack the problem of climate change. And I'm actually really hopeful in this one particular vein of legal exploration that's been going on. So should we just like get into the solar spill? Yeah, let's get into it. Solar spill. And I'm really doubting <laughs> myself because I don't know why I just said, I'm not going to do it again, but I just did that thing and that was that was what I did. That'll be on yep. the record forever. Yeah. Great. That's Good. On you. It has happened. Cool. I'm okay. A, but I 
I actually am fired up about yeah. legal frameworks. Yeah. So tell me, Tevi, what is happening? Well, all right, look, first let's just get some facts. Is this crazy? Maybe crazy? I thought it was crazy. There's only been roughly about 1,500 cases that have been, uh, climate-related lawsuits that have been brought before courts around the entire world ever. Is that, so that's like 10 per country. Let's just say, yeah, let's imagine like if 10 per country. Equal. right? If it was equal, right? Like 10? That, yeah, yeah, that's 10, actually not like, very many. It's not very many, right? Considering um, all the impacts that we who believe in climate science like can see all around us um and what's interesting is like different countries and different types of legal organizations will go about the sort of challenge of uh, attributing the damages of climate change uh, and creating responsibility for those who cause it in different ways mm-hmm. right now in america for example we explored this during the climate action film festival there's this whole vein of exploring and expanding the necessity uh clause or yes. argument uh, into uh, climate change posture. And, and very, very quickly, all that means is the necessity argument states that uh, in a moment of incredible desperation, out of necessity, someone can do something uh, that is illegal to like preserve their own life, right? Out of necessity, I can defend myself that I've killed someone. And murder is illegal, but it was necessary to preserve right. my own life. And so the necessity argument in America towards climate change says that like, we looked at the science and we see that if we continue to uh, release as much carbon into the atmosphere, to pollute our waterways, etc., we are essentially killing ourselves. You know, in the last episode and in many episodes before we've said, you know, the earth will survive our right. damage. We will not. Yes. Right. So the necessity argument in America says, hey, like by shutting down this pipeline, which is illegal, breaking and entering, which is tampering with corporate material that's owned by someone and yada, 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 the patriarchy and white supremacy. Like, basically, that those systems are built legally to defend the rights of the, like, pipeline owner. And we're mm-hmm. saying, no, we're going to clip the wire, we're going to scale the fence, we're going to turn off the pipeline, we're going to bomb the, you know, factory or bomb the power plant, whatever. I'm not, I'm not actually advocating for terrorism. But what I'm saying is, like, the argument goes that it's a necessity to save our lives. It, right. It's been an uphill battle. It's been an uphill battle. Uh, okay, the, so there is a framework in the U.S. that yes. says if you think you are doing less damage by breaking this law, you can use this defense called necessity. And there are some activists that are now using that to justify yes. their activism in order to uh, work on climate change. Yes. So that's and, happening in the U.S. Yeah, and traditionally, unfortunately, in America... Like defense is unfortunately narrowly defined as like personal, like familial property defense, which again, like back to white supremacy, back to like the colonial roots. Like it, it's defense of property, and and life is life in this abstracted sense of like future danger caused by climate. It's just it's just been an uphill battle. So what's exciting and interesting to me is that there's this new kind of strategy that's been forming, uh, that's you know likely to be a significant. I think. Uh, the, the, this, this article that I read that we'll post uh, from the BBC in the description of this podcast episode says that because of this strategy, it's likely that there's going to be a significant increase in the amount of cases brought and potentially in the success of cases brought that are uh, hoping to um, cause uh, to, to create a legal causality between the polluters and the damages that they've caused. And what's really exciting is that it's based off of uh, an argumentative and legal framework that America explored decades ago when the American courts held tobacco producers and tobacco companies um, Mm. sort of responsible for damages that their products cause, i.e. lung cancer. And for the longest time, knowing that those damages were there and were occurring and were being done, but not actually uh, creating sufficient warning uh, or advertising in a scale that's proportionate to how they were advertising in any other way. So um, the basic premise is... um, 
All right, this is this is where I'm gonna have to basically read from the article because as much as I'm pre-law, I'm not law-law. Um, so scientists for decades obviously have been trying to create causal links between climate change and the but between pollution and climate change, like the cause mm-hmm. and the effect. Um, and unfortunately, for some reason, of those 1,500 odd cases that have been tried so far uh, in the history of climate change litigation, the science has been kind of woefully out of date. And oh, yeah, it's just weird. It's like, yeah, lawyers would look to like historical data and just like be too far at a remove. I think there was some preference for like historical precedent and data. So like the way that lawyers form arguments was getting in the way of those of the of the like more recent. But anyway, more and more recent data is being used so we can start to see more recent one to one connections between like scales of pollution and scales of impact right okay um, so and it's that's getting easier to prove it's, yes that carbon emissions are actually responsible for damaging things that we see in the environment thank you and if you're if the only thing you do is translate all of this into human terms i will be grateful forever <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll yes. see what i can do it is 100 percent correct <laughs> um and that by the way it's called um it's like the the science uh that connects these things is called attribution science it's trying to create okay. a real attribution of the damage to the cause, right, or to the yep. causes, right? Um, so, for example, researchers have been able to show that climate change uh, linked to human activities uh, made the European summer heat wave in 2019 uh, both more likely and more intense. And then as a New Yorker, Hurricane Sandy, right? Um, yep. There was a recent paper that the deadly storm uh, was in 2012 was like, it showed that climate change was responsible for like roughly 13% of the 62 billion dollars in losses wow caused by that the seems event. like an awfully specific percentage yeah, yep, yep, i wonder yep. how they got there um it, they had to look at so uh one thing that new york city does really well is it has like a really strong um they were one of my clients back when i was working in the agency world but like basically like a very incredibly strong and well articulated like chamber of commerce style organ mm-hmm. and so when they were looking at like ports that were affected uh damages to infrastructure like when river water and a mix of river and seawater from the bay poured into the New York City subway system, calculating the damages to the tracks that needed to be replaced specifically by that flooding. Like, they could basically point to certain types of damage as being caused specifically by this hurricane and not by any other sort of cascade of forces. And so it's this, it's it's the, the crispness and the fidelity of the data and how it can start to be used to create specific percentages or or amounts of damage, which have become the heel turn, like they're sort of like they're like dug in and sort of like turning the way that these arguments go, instead of being about the ephemera of like the necessity argument, like oh I must do damage to this company's property to uh, mitigate some potential future death. It's saying no no no, this damage that was done was exacerbated or attributed directly to climate change and climate change we can see from recent data was exacerbated by these actors these fossil fuel extractors and producers these polluters that have these plants in these locations that can be directly geographically and scientifically linked to the damage that was done and using the way more articulate and way more uh, easy <laughs> route of litigation of saying you owe that person, that community, that country damages. You owe them reparations for damages. And it is this amount of money paid out over this amount of time. That that 
um, style of argument in the British and in the American legal system is way more effective, way more effective, because not only do those cases go through all the way and get won more predictably and statistically often, they're also settled a lot more often. Um, it's a calculation, a cold, horrible calculus is done by the by the horrible person or entity, and in a lot of cases, they'll just pay out the money. Now, that's not an end of climate change, but especially in a capital-based society, it's a way of, like, essentially drawing blood from the very machine that is killing us or is contributing to killing us. Okay, so let me see if I've got this straight. So our legal systems are very comfortable with the idea of quantifying damage that an actor does, putting a dollar figure on it, linking the causality between the damage and what that party did, and then saying, you have to pay up. Yeah. And what's happened recently is that we've been able to put the facts and the figures to the damage that climate change causes, as well as linking what fossil fuel companies and other folks are doing that contribute to climate change, linking all those things together to say, you fossil fuel company caused X billion dollars worth of damage and therefore you owe this community this money. And that's scary to fossil fuel companies because if they have to take monetary responsibility for all of the harm that climate change has caused, like they don't have a business model anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Like if they had to build into their business model the damage that their product does, it's really going to become a losing game because we know more and more that those are the types, those, those types of like fuel and those commodities are not, the flexibility in price in the end is delivered upon to the consumer. Like gas prices will rise. You know what I mean? And it's a losing game for fossil fuels now anyway, with the uptick in the trend towards like electrifying America's vehicle fleet, for example. And like, there's just, there's too many factors at play right now um, that if this kind of, uh, really like when we strip it away uh, to get back into like legalese for just a second, what's really interesting about this type of um, argument that's being used in the British courts is that like practically yes damages you know yes the attribution is really important but it's also really important because it's it's crossing one of the first lines of like of like dismissal or defense that have been used in the american court system which is being like we're not here to talk about climate change we're actually here Mm -hmm. to talk about like you scaled a fence and you like clipped the thing and then you turned a valve that you shouldn't have turned and you were trespassing plain and simple like Necessity, I don't have time for this. I'm in a circuit court, blah. What this is doing is it's saying, look, look, here's the damages. And here's what this person or this government or this city paid out to like fix this thing that was caused by a thing. And the court's like, yeah, we see that. Cool. We recognize money. Yeah, I get it. That's a damage. Cool. Now what do you want? And then the prosecution gets to say, now you need to consider this evidence that climate change caused that damage. It's like the first time that the court is being forced and it's judges or magistrates or whatever you Brits call it, right? Like, sorry, you half Brits call it. Um, but basically, like, it's forcing them to look at the science and not just look at the, like, the fo- yeah. the highfalutin argument. You know what I mean? Right. It, like, takes it out of the place of looking for, like, the the tiny bit of legalese exactly. that doesn't match up or the word that doesn't match exactly. up to, like, actually talking about the real issue. Yeah. And as, like, a person who just appreciates the sport of, like, language and legal... Like, I, I don't love, like, the loopholes, but I kind of love the, like, idea of the loopholes. Like, as a, mm-hmm. as a person who just loves language, I'm like, oh, you bastards. Like, you... Mm-hmm. But, like, 
I love that this is a way of getting around that. I actually, I like as much as I love it's the game, clever. I hate the game. You know, like, it's super clever. It's I think what emerging law is supposed to do is to like look at a system and be like, Ugh, this doesn't really serve my issue. So let me like find a way to trick it into serving my issue. I mean, it makes a ton of sense too because if you think about the American legal system, I'm sure an enormous percentage of cases are are fought in exactly that framework of like, this damage was done, this person did it you owe money as a you know a reparation so you can repair the damage you have done like exactly. isn't that almost it's got to be more than 50 percent of the u.s legal system is is that framework yeah i mean it well said it is like using the tools available to like dismantle the tools available right. I, it's really really cool i hope it goes places it's um it's yeah it's it seems really hopeful because I think again, you gotta hit them in the profit. You gotta hit them in the pants, right? If if profit is the motivator, right. and that's the thing that keeps on putting off this discussion of we're killing ourselves, then you know what? Take the profit away. Cut it down by hook or by crook. Um, and so yeah, I it's you know it's I hopefully it'd be amazing if I could just say and that's it. We solved climate change. It won't be the it won't be the solution to the problem. But I do believe that if this goes through and this becomes a legal precedent, it will be an ongoing like set of like you know like small, uh, what is it? Like death by a thousand cuts kind of thing. Like we can just keep on attacking constantly because there's a history of damage, obviously, by climate change. Wasn't there also a recent court case with Royal Dutch Shell where they were handed a pretty stunning defeat because the Dutch government said that Royal Dutch Shell was required to cut their own emissions and those of their suppliers by 45% in less than a decade? Yeah. Like, that's a pretty incredible court-mandated uh, ruling there, too. Because they're saying, I mean, for a long time, fossil fuel companies have basically said that they're not responsible for the emissions of their product, right? Exactly. And and now the Dutch government is saying, no, actually, you are. Yep. And we have agreed as a, you know, as a nation with other nations that we're cutting our emissions by 45%, and therefore you do too. Yeah, I think it's like all of these tools, in, like 100% correct, it was really, really interesting. And I think it's like a matter of looking at something like a, a, a global existential, you know, challenge like um, climate change and realizing that it has to come from the very top and from the very bottom as well. So the same article that we'll link to has this beautiful tiny case of like a single fisherman uh, claiming damages on like a much smaller scale, like 17K-ish, let's say. Um, but that that is, it's a stunningly winnable case um, if it can keep going. And that's, the, that's, I think, the precedent that we need. We need the governments of the world to like, from a top-down perspective, effectively create the, the North Star like legislations and proclamations that lead, that create the space for more like middle and small solutions to come up and fill with real practical like legal um commercial frameworks like there, there have to be not just punishments but like motivations to move away from these kinds of polluting and extracting behaviors so it's it's going to be like it's going to have to be that all of these things to certain degrees are combined factors uh to sort of push back against what we consider inevitable can we just pause for a moment because as you're talking it just strikes me how much power fossil fuel companies have mm, mm, mm. and you know every fossil fuel company has an executive team and a, a board of directors but let's say that the ceo is the only one making decisions there's a handful of fossil fuel companies there's a handful of fossil fuel company ceos yeah they have so much 
power, so much power that not only are governments attempting to litigate them into changing their behavior, but now, as you're saying, like the small guys are like coming from the yeah. bottom up trying yeah. to get them to change their behavior. And we're talking about, you know, the decisions of maybe a hundred people. Right. Like, it's so crazy. <laughs> How come we can't just talk to those hundred guys and be like, yo, I this mean, is what's up. I, far Sit down. For me. Let's I, talk. I don't, I don't want to lose too much focus here because I think that's a bigger problem of just like hyper wealth, I guess, or like the amassment of wealth. It's stuff that's bigger than climate change. It's stuff that's bigger than any one industry. I don't think it's just fossil fuels, though they are obviously the glaring bad guys of this podcast. Like, I think that there's like, <laughs> no, there's there's like a definite problem when you consolidate power too much in any one place, industry, person, from the CEO to the to the category. Like, there's just too much power in a single place because I think it it it, it separates you enough from the basic experience of being a human that you you stop being a human i think and this is me like you know on the on the recording off the record like this is just tommy talking like i'm just like i don't know how those folks can ever see the same world that i live in Mm. um because they don't they're not gonna their feet don't touch the ground and they probably have a plan to you know blast off to mars at some point in the next 10 years so you know anyone talking about climate change and solving it out of one side of their mouth and you know, committing their money to another planet is definitely not a part of the solution. But that's just me. That's just Tavi. That's just Tavi. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Sorry to derail us. I just, it just <laughs> really struck me how much power they have yeah. that we, it's, you know, the solution is so obvious and clear to, I would say, the majority of people. And yet we just find ourselves continually struggling against the decisions of, you know, what's probably a few hundred people. Yeah. Power is tough, isn't it? It's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. And let's hope that our, you know, benevolent corporate overlords have, uh, you know, great plans for us in the future. No, I think we need to fight them at every at every level um, from the very, very tippy tippy top. And that's us voting. That's us taking over the political system through grassroots actions like voting, <laughs> like demonstrating and like not allowing uh you know, communities to necessarily function um, in the short term. And I don't mean that in a violent way. I mean that in the like, if we see that there is clearly a problem with ground temperatures of 117 degrees, I think it's it's safe to say that like things should not look or feel normal until that problem, not it's solved, we can't solve this, but until the worst uh, eventualities of that problem uh, can be prevented or mitigated. We need to bring back the guy who was all about the rent is too damn high. Yeah. We need to bring him back and then give him a second. Like, the rent is still too damn high and the temperature is too damn hot. Yeah, it's like the rent is too damn high and we all refuse to pay it until the rent comes down to a, a, a humane and reasonable level. Um, the, the the fossil fuels are going to kill us and we refuse to use any system. that. Is, and I know what I'm talking about sounds impossible. Absolutely sounds impossible, but like... Man, that's what, you know, global strikes are for. The system wants you to believe that it cannot be changed. That's true. The system wants you to believe that it cannot be changed. Mm-hmm. But it can be. Look at how many times it's already been changed. Yeah. Massive true. systemic change has already happened so many times. It's true. It's true. We have to kind of train ourselves to, to see beyond the limits of our own imagination, which have been trained by the reality that we've been given. Yeah. Um, 
Maybe there the system are. is like a whole set of values put in place that we don't even yeah. examine or, you know, we completely take for granted. Oh my gosh. And even in the post-Climate Action Film Festival and all the work that we're doing, you know, the sort of behind the scenes uncommon, just learning from not only, not only imagining forward and thinking ahead to some like magical mystery, like technological solution, but actually holding in reverence and looking back to like indigenous people and communities that have like actually created societies that we have destroyed that have been in more harmonious organizations not just with nature but with each other that can come to more collective decision making and can share power and not hoard it and like there are records of those societies even though we've colonized or destroyed them like we don't have to like you know go sci-fi to solve these problems we can go totally lo-fi and like really just get back to the roots of what it meant to be a human well that ended differently than I expected. It did. We started with legal frameworks, <laughs> yeah. and now we're ending on indigenous wisdom. Ah, man, if legal frameworks really, if we like, you know, disambiguate them or like unsexy them, they really are just like language that sticks, right? Like we've given power, metaphorical power, to like a construct of language that we carry between us as humans. So maybe, it, maybe legalese is kind of a human thing. I mean, I'm definitely leaving this podcast more fired up and hopeful Good. than the last one. Good. And I'm definitely going to read all the fine print forever more. I'm never going to skip the legal <laughs> language on anything. Nah, nah, nah. Um, no, thank you, dear listener, for going through. That was a lot. There was a lot of stuff in there. Um, you know, uh, and we appreciate you listening. And it behooves us to, of course, remind you that we are uh, Suncommon. Suncommon is an incredibly awesome solar installer in uh, New York, upstate New York and in Vermont. Uh, and we're a B Corp. And we're a B Corp. Uh, Socially responsible company. We are, and we do, yes. <laughs> and um, we're here for all of your uh, residential or commercial solar needs. So uh, check us out, suncommon.com. And of course, stay tuned for the next episode of The Solar Spill.